Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. So this last week in our Alpha small groups, we asked the question, how and why do I read the Bible? And uh, we, often, we often cite the Bible in church as this place to go to to get directions in, in our lives. But I wonder if you've ever approached the Bible, and honestly, as you approach the Bible, you feel even more lost reading the Bible than you do being lost in, in your life. It, has anyone ever had that experience going to the Bible? Actually, the Bible even talks about this. In Acts chapter 8, verse 30, uh, we meet this, uh, this Ethiopian man. He's sitting in a chariot, and he's reading the scriptures. And another man named Philip approaches him. So let's drop in on verse 30. It says this, Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? So here I am today quoting the scriptures as not even being able to understand the scriptures. Like what hope is there for us understanding the scriptures? The title of my message today is this, how do I ask the Bible for directions? Let's pray. Father God, I invite you into this room. Lord, we want to hear from you today, but oftentimes we find it hard to understand what it is you're saying. So I pray that today you would join in with us as we try to understand so that you'd make clear the things that you have for us. I pray all this in Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, I grew up in Michigan, in the Midwest. Any Midwesters? Midway, ah, oh, yeah, you, you exist. I love it. Silent, but you raise your hand. I like it. Um, <laughs> so every summer, uh, I grew up in Michigan. My family and I would travel down south to the great town of Toledo, Ohio. My, gran- my grandfather had a sailboat, a sailboat, uh, which, which he took out on Lake Erie. This sailboat could sleep six people. And so we'd, we'd spend time in the summers on this sailboat. We'd, we'd like sleep in in the morning. And then in the afternoon, we'd take that sailboat out, shut the engine off, and the wind would just carry us across the waters. Has anyone ever been sailing before? Oh, I mean, do you guys want to see a picture of this sailboat? Hey, there it is. This, this is actually, so my grandfather is the one, uh, he's at the helm right here steering this boat. He was actually racing his boat at this time. And this, this picture was taken before there were drones, which means a helicopter actually took this picture, which is, which is pretty awesome. Now, now my grandfather w- was an amazing, amazing man. And I think because he owned this sailboat, we didn't really know him too much as grandpa. He was more, we knew him more as the commander. <laughs> he was the commander. He was this disciplined soul. I mean, everything about 5.30 a.m. is when morning exercises began. It's not a big boat, my friends. It's not a big boat. And he has this little machine. It's like, it's like this big. And it's, a, it's like a stair stepper, stair climber thing. And he would, so he kind of does this thing to like exercise, whatever. And it makes that, it's 5.30 in the morning, Grandpa. I'm on vacation. Do you have to do that right now? You can take a break. So disciplined. So I remember, 
I remember inviting him to my wedding. And I call him up on the phone. I'm like, Grandpa, it's probably four months before my wedding. I'm like, Grandpa, I'm getting married uh, on January 30th. You got to be there. Can you, can you please make sure you're there? And I hear him over the phone. He gets his calendar out. He starts flipping through the pages. And, uh, and he gets to, I'm sure, January 30th. And this is, this is what he says. Oh, nice. Well, that's brown suit week. Well, got to go. I'm like, what? what do you mean that's brown suit week? Is that, are you coming? Like, what, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> Grandpa, sure enough, he shows up to my wedding looking dapper in a brown suit. Glory to God, Grandpa, the disciplined commander. Oh, my gosh. But never was he more the commander than on his sailboat. Ah, sailboat. Can I bring it back? Yeah. Is that Zach, Zach back there just running the screens? Thanks, my man. Never was he more the commander. I mean, there was ropes to tie. There was winches to tighten. And then every now and then he would do this thing called tacking, where he would turn to a different direction in the wind, and that boom would fly across, and it had the potential to knock those little kids into the drink. He would say, it wasn't the lake, it was the drink, right? And, and so his commands on the sailboat every, when I was there, it's probably a little bit of annoying. As, as I'm looking at it now, it's kind of comical, but man, never did I need my grandfather's commands more than when we were on that boat after the sun went down. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being on an open body of water at night, but it is so disorienting. The feeling of being lost just, just takes you over. Uh, any point of reference that you had, like with land in the distance or whatever, just blurs into darkness and you are left with a, the skies the same color as the water and this is utter feeling of being lost. Oftentimes when we read the Bible, that's, that's the kind of image that we have. That's the kind of feeling that we have. I was already lost, but now it's night and I feel even more lost. Have you ever tried to find a point of reference in the Bible? Like, who do I marry? It doesn't exist in the Bible. How do I ask the Bible for directions? Well, let's drop back in to that verse in Acts and see what happens. See, uh, this Ethiopian man, he was, he was reading in the prophet Isaiah. So he invites Philip up into the chariot and reads the particular scripture uh, to Philip, and then he asks a question. Let's find out that question in verse 34. It says the eunuch, that's the Ethiopian man, he asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told the good news about Jesus. I think this is so cool. See, Philip understood exactly how to get home from right where that man was reading in the scriptures. Just like when I was out on the water at night, my grandpa knew exactly how to steer that boat back in to the safe harbor. But we don't always have guys named Philip jumping up into our chariots as we're reading the Bible. If I was out on that water right now, I wouldn't have my grandpa to lead me home. What does that leave us to do? Well, if I were to walk down into the cabin, my grandpa's sailboat, you walk down in, and then just to the right, there's this big cabinet. And inside that cabinet were all kinds of tools that my grandpa was very familiar with. These, these tools would allow him to look at the stars and, and understand where he was. It was. There was detailed maps so he could pinpoint his location. See, he had developed a relationship with the stars, with the lake, with things that were happening. He could have a conversation there, find out where he was if he ever did get lost, and get back home through a process called astro-navigation. 
pretty cool process, a conversation sailors have been having with the stars to help them guide their way back home. And I think astro-navigation actually has a lot of parallels to what it's like to ask the Bible for directions. So if it's okay with you guys, if you can follow me here, I'm going to nerd out a little bit on astro-navigation. Can we go there? Can we go to astro Okay, cool. All right. Well, all right. You can keep it going. You can clap. It's, it's okay. You can respond. I love it. Sailors would have this conversation. They would ask five questions of the stars. If we can put them up on the screen here. Question one, where is the North Star? Question two, exactly what time is it? Question three, this is where things get a little wild. They'd say, what is the angle of the North Star, Jupiter, and the moon to the horizon? Quite a, quite a question there. Question four, where do these measurements place me on a map? And question five, this is a super important one, where am I now compared to the last measurement that I took? Now, this is not a sermon about astrology. We're, we're talking about the Bible uh, this morning, just to, just to have that clarification. So what I want to do is nerd out a little bit more on each of these five questions, but in order to actually uh, teach us how to ask the Bible for directions, let's put a scripture up on the screen, and in real time, as we unfold this, we're going to ask this scripture for directions in our own lives. Are you following me so far? Okay, cool. Now, since we're in a season of um, our legacy offering and stuff like that, I'm specifically going to choose a scripture that is about finances in our lives. I'm not trying to fool you here. I'm, I'm doing that because of our, our legacy season. So are you ready for the scripture this morning? Awesome. It is Malachi 3 verse 10. Let's read it together. Bring the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heavens for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. And with that, I would like to welcome you, Kalos Church, to a masterclass one of which I have coined the phrase, astro-biblical navigation! Yeah. You can, I don't know if it's applause-worthy. You can definitely laugh at it. It's stupid. We're nerding out. It's amazing. Okay, let's put Malachi back up on the screen if you don't mind. So if I'm asking this scripture for directions, maybe at first go around is saying bring tithes into the storehouses. So tithe is 10% of my income, as I understand that, to the storehouse. So I'm supposed to give 10% of my money to the church. Um, and then if I do, God says he's going to open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great I won't have enough room for it. So if, if I tithe, then I'm going to be rich, I guess. I, I'm going to be super rich. And then he, and then he goes on. He, he like kind of dares me. He's like, try it. Put me to the test. So, if I, so tithing is the way to get rich. It's kind of maybe the first go at this thing. But man, when I, when I interpret the scripture that way, I don't know, does anyone else kind of have this like weird feeling in your gut? Like that doesn't, that doesn't seem to be right. Like are, are we, so Elon Musk is like super rich. Does that mean he's tithing super well? I've got this question, right? I'm tithing. Why am I not rich like Elon Musk? Or maybe, I'm, maybe if I turn it around, something a little bit more intense, am I willing to go uh, maybe over to poorer places in the world and, and say, hey, you, you're poor because you're not tithing? Oh, that doesn't feel right. See, this is how we can sometimes feel lost when we approach the scriptures. But Let's get some clues from our sailors. What do you say? So question number one we're going to ask, we're going to ask Malachi this, is what? Where is the North Star? Now, the North Star, uh, also known as Polaris, 
Um, I'm saying that so you trust me, which you shouldn't. I don't really know much about astronavigation. But the North Star is really, really cool because it sits directly over the North Pole of the Earth. Every other star in the night sky, because the Earth is, is rotating, right? Every other star spins throughout the night. Most of them so much so that they actually even disappear from the night sky at certain times. Have you ever been following a star that disappeared on you? Does it ever feel like your world is spinning and you're just chasing a moving target? I know for me, this happened really poignantly because I was chasing the star that I thought was the educational pathway to success in life, right? In high school, you get good grades uh, so that you can get into a good school and then you, uh, you go to a good school and then you graduate that with your degree because with your degree, you can exchange that for all these job offers that's gonna set you up for the rest of your life. Well, I ended up with a degree in music Sacred music, not even just like regular music, sacred music. And it was right during the 2008 financial crisis. Guess how many job offers I had? Yeah, you can guess how many jobs. I don't even need to say it out loud. See, the star I'd been chasing disappeared from the night sky. I wonder, wonder if that's ever happened to you. Maybe, maybe you found your identity in being a mom, but now your adult kids won't, won't speak to you anymore. The star disappeared from your night sky. You... You used to be able to sleep well at night because, you, because I had this great job, my dream job, but the pandemic stole that from you. See, this is why I think it's so important that we choose the right North Star in our life, the right thing that's never going to change, never going to move throughout the night. And I want to say this morning, I really believe that the Bible, that Jesus himself is a North Star. For, for thousands of years, this book has guided people, and it is going to thousands of years from now. This book is the most questioned, contested, challenged book, but also proven book in all of history. I think it's a wonderful choice for our North Star. And I, I don't say this uh, to, to just quash any questions you might have this morning about the veracity of the Bible. In fact, the opposite. If, if, if you're here and you've you got some questions about that, like me, actually, I think it's so important and urgent that we uncover, we explore those questions. So let's ask Malachi 3.10 where the North Star is. Can we put the scripture back up on the screen? Now, if I'm choosing the Bible as my North Star, I've actually already taken this first step, right? I'm choosing to say, Malachi, I don't really... I don't really like what I think you're trying to say, but I'm choosing to believe that the word of God is the word of God. I'm going to stand strong on the word of God. But here's the problem. A lot of times we as Christians stop there and we just say, well, I believe the word of God. And then we, we don't really take it any further. But sailors knew very, very well that the North Star alone was never going to help them know where they are or where to go. There's more questions we have to ask. So let's ask question number two. Question number two is this, what time is it? See, depending on what time it was, specifically what time it was in the night, the stars will have rotated to a certain spot. So asking what time it is helps me orient myself so I know what it is I'm looking at. You tracking with me here? And I think the Bible is very similar. See, the Bible was written a long time ago in a historical context 
and culture that was different from the one we find ourselves living in. And that cultural context can be very important in us understanding what it is the Bible is saying. And even more than that, let's say you understand the entire cultural context. We can still get it wrong as we take these first century or earlier concepts and try to, try to bring them into the 21st century. I find this to be extremely easy to do in a marriage situation, for example. Have you ever misquoted scripture to your spouse or took it out of context or something like that. I don't know if you want to hear a funny story about that or not, but I'm going to go to it quickly here. Um, when the heat waves come through in, uh, in Washington, it's 120 degrees outside. For some reason, my wonderful wife, Rachel, who is an amazing cook, by the way, but for some reason, that temperature just makes her crave hot soup for dinner. I'm like, Rachel, it's 120 degrees Inside, we got no air conditioning, and you want to put liquid that is 180 degrees in your body? It tastes amazing, but man, I feel like you're missing it here. I need some wisdom. Where can I find wisdom? Let's go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs seems to have some wisdom here. So I'm going to scroll through. Is there anything about marriage, anything about uh, food? or t- Oh, here we go. Proverbs 11.22. It's got it all. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who lacks taste. Solomon, what are you trying to say? I don't think that that scripture is going to work in this situation. In fact, I'm pretty sure I know what Rachel's going to say. She's like, yeah, I lack taste. Taste, like taste when I picked you. She's, she's clever like that. She's never actually said that to me, but I bet she would. And, and then, uh, of course, she always has, has this comeback. This, this scripture is, is terrifying to me when taken out of context. Galatians 5, verse 12. It says, I wish those who were annoying you would just go ahead and castrate themselves. I really hope she's taking that scripture out of context. See, when we don't understand the context of scripture can have very, very dangerous results. Results. So let's, let's do this. Let's ask Malachi 3, verse 10, what, what time it is. See, um, if we put this into context, let's first let's just see what the book of Malachi is about in general. And I'll give you a summary here. The book of Malachi was written to a group of people going through a really hard time. I'm talking they were literally in slavery at this time, and they were, they were facing pretty intense um, economic poverty. So the the people of Israel are asking God, why don't you seem to be present in our society? And Malachi has six different dispositions. We're actually in the fifth one as we're in Malachi 3 3 right here. Six different dispositions where God seems to say, hey, you're asking why I don't seem to be present in your society. But what I want to say to you is you actually haven't brought me in to your society. Okay, that's changing how I'm looking at this. See, tithing is not for me to get rich. It's actually a system of me to bring God into my finances. That's, that's a little bit different. What if we take it a step further? See, God's saying, I'll open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing. You won't have enough room to take it in. Now, those rooms, this, th- these were farmers, right? So they built these rooms with the, with the purpose of making it through the winter with enough food. So when God's saying you won't have enough room to take it in, he's actually saying you're actually going to have a surplus. I think this promise is a little bit closer to you're actually not going to go hungry this winter than it is you're going to be rich like Elon Musk. You see how when I put things into context, when we we put ourselves in the perspective of the intended listener, it, it can help us understand what's going on here, right? I'm feeling a little bit lighter, but we still got more questions to ask. Can we go on question number three? 
Yes. All right, this is a crazy question. What is the angle between the North Star, Jupiter, and the moon to the horizon? This is where things get wild. See, sailors had this really cool tool, and I have one here, called a sextant. Um, and this is, this, is pretty, this is pretty cool. So what they could do is they could peer through, see this little telescope right here? They could, they could oh, this is kind of hard with the microphone. They could peer through this, and at, part of this allows me to see straight ahead of me, and part of it is a mirror system that looks up into the skies. And as I rotate this mirror, I can actually, from my field of vision, take the North Star and bring it down to the horizon. As soon as I do that, as soon as they line up exactly, it tells me exactly what angle it is I am looking at. And Jupiter and the moon were also, there's, there's actually a ton of other ways to do this. Jupiter and the moon are just some really common stars that can really help us locate ourselves. See, it takes an actual constellation of stars to really actually find your position. And I think the Bible can be very, very similar. Did you know that you can use scripture to help you understand scripture? The constellation of scriptures actually helps us unlock the full meaning of what's going on here. I want to give you a really cool example of this happening in the Bible. It's a lot of fun. Um, in John chapter 1, the author, the apostle John, gives us a really cool way, uh, example of, of measuring scripture against scripture, finding those angles and dialing it in. So I'm going to read John 1.1, but then I'm going to put right next to it Genesis 1, the very first book in the Bible. And let's see how this unlocks some meaning for us. So John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Okay, so that's John 1.1. That's pretty cool. It's kind of heady, but I like it. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so we, we see these two things are actually, they're the, they're the same kind of thing. See, what John's doing here is he's going back to Genesis 1.1, and he's, he's putting the lead role. He's casting the lead role as Jesus, the word of God. In the beginning, Jesus was there. He's reimagining Genesis 1 as he's writing this, giving us his commentary. Now, the, the meaning is just beginning to expand for me. Let, let's do another one. John 1 verse 3 says, the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. This light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never overcome it. He's giving commentary on Genesis 1-3, which says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. See how as I'm measuring the scriptures up, the, the meaning can begin to unlock a little bit. And here's the big thing I think John's trying to do here. He's trying to set up Jesus, the man Jesus, as our horizon. We measure those, the constellation of scriptures against the horizon, and that horizon is Jesus. For example, when I was deciding whether or not to marry Rachel, um, unsurprisingly, I never found anywhere in the Bible it say, Andrew Jennings, you should probably marry Rachel Kelly. That's her maiden name. Never found that there. But what was I able to do? I was able to measure our relationship against the angle that is Jesus. Does bringing her into my life make me more like Jesus? Here's another important question. Does bringing me into her life make her look more like Jesus? Well, what we do together versus what we did apart, will that, will that, will that look like Jesus in a way? See, we're able to measure ourselves against the horizon that was Jesus. So let's do that with Malachi 3.10. Can you put that scripture back up? 
Um, so we know the scripture is about finances, so I'm going to go elsewhere in the Bible, and I'm going to find what Jesus had to say about finances, and we're going to measure that up. In Matthew 6.31, Jesus is saying here, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. God already knows that you need those things. Jesus is setting himself up as our source for, for, what, for the things that we need, not our finances. See, sometimes we think our finances... Are, are the, is the thing that's going to bring us freedom to live the, the way that we want to. Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't, don't worry about those things. I am that source of freedom in your life. Actually, a couple of verses earlier in Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus is saying, you can't serve two masters at once. He actually personifies money as a slave owner here a slave owner, that there's captivity that we find because of money. I wonder if you've ever experienced that, right? I'm working my nine to five job to save up enough money to live right now, but also I kind of need to be saving up all this money for retirement. But then I'm like, man, I might not even live long enough to spend any of this retirement money. So I just feel captive by finances. Jesus is saying here, I want to bring freedom to you. So in Malachi 3, when we asked what time it was, we understood God is trying to ask me to incorporate him into my life. Why? Because he wants me to be free from finances, something so much better than the riches that I initially thought that this scripture was talking about. Are are we feeling a little bit lighter about this scripture as we begin to ask these questions? I know I am, but and here's what, here's what I got to say. Normally, we preach three points in sermons at Kalos Church, but I got two more. <laughs> I got two, are you guys still with me? Are, are we tracking so far? Okay, okay, because here's where it gets real crazy. And by crazy, I actually mean scary, because question number four is where does this place me on a map? See, sailors would use these really precise maps. They have tools that were literally designed with the map so they could measure things out and find out exactly where they were based on these measurements that we just took. And this is where it gets scary because we've just been stargazing at this point in time. Now we're actually going to put some action behind what we've been doing so far. This is really scary because if you followed church history, there have been a lot of times when people have put the wrong points on the map. I mean, starting with the Pharisees themselves. Uh, (laughs) These these Pharisees knew the Bible so well. We estimate there was about 6,000 of them at Jesus' time. Every single one of them could recite the entire Bible from memory, forwards and backwards. We have no hope of knowing the Bible better than these Pharisees did, yet they used the scriptures to literally murder God. They missed it. They, They thought they were following the scriptures. And they missed it. Another really scary, um, horrifying way we've missed it, um, between 1641 and 1865, Americans enslaved Africans. And the theologians of that time thought they were doing so to, to make disciples. They were using the Bible to justify what they were doing. I found this, found this quote that is really absolutely terrifying to me. This is from Bishop Stephen Elliott. He was Archbishop of Georgia at the time. He says this, For nearly a hundred years, the English and American churches have been striving to civilize and Christianize Western Africa. And with what result? Around Sierra Leone and the neighborhood of Cape Palmas, a few natives have been made Christians, and some nations have been partially civilized. But what a small number in comparison with the thousands, nay, I may say millions, 
who have learned the way to heaven and who have become made to know their savior through the means of African slavery. This is just, I'm cringing as I'm reading this. At this very moment, there are from three to four millions of Africans educating for earth and for heaven in the so vilified southern states, learning the very best lessons for a semi-barbarous people, lessons of self-control, of obedience, of perseverance, of adaptation, of means to ends, learning above all where their weaknesses lie and how they may acquire strength for the battle of life. These considerations satisfy me with their condition and assure me that it is the best relation they can for the present be made to occupy. He's literally saying that slavery is the best tool we have for reaching Africans for the gospel. I think this is a disgusting perversion of what I believe the gospel to be. But before I get self-righteous or have the pride to say I can do any better, I have to reconcile with the fact that this was an archbishop. He had to know the scriptures. How can I hope to do any better? maybe a little closer to home for, for some of you sitting in this room, many of you have shared with me just really awful ways that pastors or church leaders have used the authority of scriptures to manipulate you into, into things that maybe just aren't the gospel. It's left you devastated. You're sitting here still deconstructing those experiences. And if if any of this stuff describes you this morning, I just, as the person with the mic trying to preach the word of God this morning, I want to say I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And additionally, I really need to take a moment and say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, that I might not misuse your word, but that I would only let it accomplish the purpose you have designed for your word. So where does this leave us? After question four, I feel just as lost as I did before question one. If I can get it that wrong, do that much evil with the word of God, what do I do? Well, I want to offer the final question here as maybe not a completely satisfactory answer to that. We still need to recognize that that evil exists inside all of us. But I think an important thing we can do is ask this last question. Where am I now compared to my last measurement? Sailors would take measurements in the, in the night, they'd map out their course, they'd sail for a day. Then when the stars came back out, they, they would do it all over again, and they would carefully notate, did I get to where I was meaning to go? Did what I thought, is what I thought would happen, is that what actually happened? And they would do this every single night. And I think the scriptures are a lot like that. They're designed for us to have a conversation, a, a relationship with them, finding out, okay, did, did I go where I thought I would go based on my understanding of these scriptures? Actually, um, some people at a really wonderful organization called The Bible Project, this is an amazing, if you want to understand the Bible, this project is amazing. It's a YouTube channel as well as an app you can get on your phone called The Bible Project. And they coined this really cool term called ancient Jewish meditation literature. This is actually what, how much of the Bible is written. And I just want to share a quote from Tim Mackey. He's one of, the, one of the founders of the Bible Project, talking about that scripture we were looking at earlier. That, remember in John, we had the four scriptures up here? So he's talking about that scripture defining what he means by ancient Jewish meditation literature. Check this out. Uh, he says, John is reading the Bible as a unified story that leads to Jesus. 
Then he goes back and meditates. That's a key word there. On every single story of the Old Testament. Now in light of the whole story. So it's both allowing each story to become a little universe of meditation to reflect on myself and life and God. Then it's also learning how to read backwards and forwards. Read every story and poem in light of every other story and poem as a unified whole. This is what we mean when we say reading the Bible as ancient Jewish meditation literature. This might seem daunting at first, right? Like understanding the whole Bible, like understanding every constellation that exists in the North Sky. But actually, I think this is one of the more beautiful parts about reading the Bible. Because we can have a living relationship with a living Bible through the person that is Jesus Christ. He's made a way for us to understand more and more and more. I think it's so beautiful. I think we need to have these nightly conversations with the stars. And here's what's cool. The Bible might speak to you today, but then two years from now, that same thing can speak to you in another way then. It's a living word that can lead us and guide us, give us directions. We've got to be taking measurements compared to where we were before. Uh, For example, in in our scripture with Malachi, originally I might have thought that if I tithe, that makes me rich. But when I'm finding out as I'm tithing, as I'm tithing, as I'm tithing, I'm not getting rich. That is a sign. Maybe I've missed something here. Maybe I should go back and ask some more questions. So let's do this with Malachi, just kind of in conclusion here, right? We asked, we're believing our North Star is the Bible. We're going to follow this scripture. But then we ask what time it is. We understand that God is actually trying to show me how to incorporate him. Maybe it's like a reminder to incorporate God into my finances. And when we measure that against Jesus, we realize the reason he's doing that is to set me free from finances. So how do I put this on a map? How do I maybe get some direction for, for this? You know, it's not actually up to me to, to tell you how God is speaking to you in this. I encourage you to have this conversation with the scripture yourself and, and see what God might be speaking to you. I'll just give like as an example, a creative idea that was helpful to me. Um, since I know that God is trying to give me freedom from my finances, I just decided to set up a recurring gift to, to Kalos Church. So it happened, and you can do this at kalos.church slash give. It happens on the same day that my paycheck hits my bank account is the same day a recurring gift goes to Kalos. What that does for me is when I look at my bank account and I see my bank account has increased, I, every single time right next to that is another, is another charge and it's, it's going out and it's reminding me, hey, this paycheck is not what sustains me. This paycheck is not where my freedom exists. This, this, this is my freedom comes from God. It's just a reminder for me. That's, that, it's just a way that it meant something to me. But what I want to say is there's more questions to ask about this scripture. For, for example, like, like, what does this try it put me to the test? What, is he, he's kind of daring me. I mean, elsewhere, doesn't he say not to put me to the test? Like, what's going on there? There's more questions to ask. And I encourage you, we don't have enough time today, but I encourage you to keep asking questions about this text. And then years from now, when your financial situation maybe changes, it might be time to come back and get another measurement, right? Ask that last question. Keep coming back. Keep allowing the Lord to speak into my life. It's, it's a lifestyle. It never, never ends. And that, I think, is what makes it so beautiful. I wonder if you've ever felt in church like you are not allowed to question the Bible. 
Maybe you've even gone to a church leader and asked a question and felt like maybe judgment. Like, why are you asking questions? You shouldn't be asking questions about the Bible. Well, there's a man in the Bible who I think felt very much that way. His name is Nicodemus, and he was a Pharisee. So he, from what I understand, he was under a tremendous amount of pressure not to associate with Jesus because the Pharisees thought they, they had it all figured out. They, they knew the scriptures so well. They, did, they didn't need Jesus to help them see anything else. But Nicodemus did something completely not politically correct. He approached Jesus and questioned him. Man, if an expert in the Bible can question Jesus, how many questions do we need to be asking? I, I even want to go so far as to say, w when you have questions about sermons that are preached here at Kalos Church, hopefully not in an antagonistic way, but you need to get those questions answered. You need to understand. We encourage questions here at Kalos Church. Nicodemus asked Jesus some questions. And in response to those questions, Jesus gave us these words in John 3, starting in verse 16. He said, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Man, these are some of the most beautiful words ever spoken. And they were only spoken because someone was brave enough to ask questions. Man, what questions do you have this morning? I encourage you to have that conversation, develop that relationship. Just like my grandpa had a relationship with the stars, would you take those steps and develop a relationship with the word of God. I believe if you do that, when you find yourself in the middle of dark waters at night, you'll have the tools to come back home. I'm currently asking some questions. I, I'm stuck in the book of Exodus right now on a few of those stories. I'm like, man, how does this in God's justice line up? I got some questions. I don't really understand. But I'm going to choose to believe that God's word is God's word. And I'm going to keep asking my questions. I'm going to read books about it. I'm going to see who else has asked this question before and try to get their advice. You know, as many of you know, I shared this um, the last time I preached, but my wife and I are struggling to start a family. So I have some questions. Why are my prayers not being answered? You know, God said, ask and you'll receive. I'm asking, but not receiving. What, what, I have questions about what's going on. What questions do you have? I encourage you to develop that relationship. It's an exciting lifestyle to have a relationship with God's scriptures. And I wanna close by asking if you're in this room and you have not yet decided that the Bible or Jesus is gonna be your North Star. First of all, thank you for being here. You're welcome here for as long as you're struggling, for as many questions as you have. We all have questions too. But I wanna just encourage you, I really believe that the Bible, that Jesus is the right North Star to choose. Is the, he's the right thing. He's going to be there for you your entire life like the North Star, never changing or spinning or going out of view. So I want to give you an opportunity to, to maybe make that decision this morning. Maybe you feel God tugging on your heart. Maybe you, you feel like, I want to actually take this step, and I know I can continue to ask questions after I take that step, right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes to make this just a private moment between you and God right now. And if, and if that's you, you say, you know what? I want to make that choice. I want to choose God, Jesus, as my North Star today. I so encourage you to do that. I'm going to count to three, 
And on three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. It's just a physical symbol that I'm making a decision today. It's a, it's a moment I wanna remember. And, and by doing so, I'm gonna see that and I'm gonna include you in, in the prayer we're gonna pray right after. So if you wanna choose Jesus as your North Star, raise your hand on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. I see that hand. I see these hands. I see about seven hands this morning. You can go ahead and put your hands back down once you did. Any, anybody else wanna join? Amen. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and open your eyes and, and lift up your heads. I'm, I'm so encouraged for those of you who are saying, I want to choose Jesus as my, as my North Star. What we're going to do is, actually, we're going to do this with everybody today. Everyone's going to pray this prayer out loud, so you're not, no one's singled out here. But if, if you raise your hand, I want you to, as a, not as like a magic spell that's going to like change my life forever, but just as a, as a moment that you can remember, we think these words help us kind of capture what, what's happening here. So we're going to all pray this at the exact same time right here. Let, let's go. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's give it up for those people who gave their lives to the Lord. Just continue. Let's be a community that asks questions and understands the scriptures. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.